Thanks, Paul. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the spirit that inspired the Apostle Matthew to write these words for us. And we pray that your same spirit might so teach us wondrous things out of your word. We might honour you and the Lord Jesus Christ, whom you've sent to be our Saviour. Amen. Well, it's a new year and a new place for the Northern Hope Anglican to meet. And what a joy it is for me to be with you again. And uh, it's, uh, it's wonderful too that you've been going through Matthew's Gospel and beginning of the new year, beginning of the New Testament, Matthew, of course, starts off uh, the four Gospels. And as you know, there's an outline actually in, the, in, the, uh, in your bulletin there, along with the text from the, uh, just in case your computer fails, <laughs> uh, you'll find the text actually in the bulletin there too. So um, Matthew's Gospel begins in a very curious way. You might remember that there is a, a, a long genealogy which might sort of put people off a bit because genealogy is not kind of things we normally warm towards, unless it's your own. Uh, but the genealogy, of course, is the Lord Jesus. And he starts with Abraham, goes 14 generations to David, 14 generations to the exile, and 14 generations to Jesus. And, of course, that's a deliberate uh, summary of the genealogy. If you go back to the Old Testament, you'll see that Matthew's skipped out some names. Why is that? Because he wants to preserve the 14, 14, 14, which of course is six sevens, because it's a sabbatical sequence. He's looking to the Jubilee, the seventh seven, as it were, in the coming of Jesus. This is all part of God's great purposes in proclaiming uh, the coming of the Messiah. So going back to Genesis 3.15, we see the Messiah is, is promised with the seed of the woman, overcoming the seed of the serpent, the seed of Satan. And here we get the promises of blessing to Abraham. We get the blessing will come to all nations. Then you get the covenant with David, whereby there'll always be a king on the throne of Israel, David's son. And then, of course, you get exile. And it looks like everything's gone wrong. Where are the promises of God? What's happened that the Israel, the great nation of God, has gone into exile? It's because of their disobedience to God. And they're in exile for 70 years. And again, that 70, that 7 comes to, to play in order that because they hadn't been looking after the land and the, the Sabbath for the land, uh, they, they, it's 70, 70 years of Sabbath the land's going to need before Israel uh, comes back into the land. Then, of course, we come to the birth of Jesus. And there we see that Jesus is to ascend the throne of his father David. That's why the important thing that Matthew says is that Joseph is of the tribe of David, of the lineage of David, even though he's not the natural father of Jesus because Mary is conceived, uh, her conception is by the Holy Spirit. And the, so the, a virgin will conceive, and but... By being under Joseph as the, as the legal father, he is of the tribe of David. Matthew loves the way in which he sees the promises of God being fulfilled. So we see that uh, the, the virgin will conceive, a reference back to Isaiah's prophecy, some you know, 700 years beforehand. 
Then in, uh, in chapter 2, the Magi come to Jerusalem. Where will the Messiah be born? And the scribes look up, of course, to see there's going to be in Bethlehem. Another prophecy from Micah that uh, Bethlehem is the place of the, the birth of the king. You, know, you wonder why people didn't hurry to see what was happening. The Magi come, the shepherds are there. Of course, they're there separately. The, sh the shepherds are there at the very birth of Jesus. The Magi are some months later because Mary and Joseph are in a house when the Magi come. And then, here we are, the Magi have left. They're the ones, they're the they who have left in, in verse 13. And then the Lord appears to Joseph in a dream. Joseph is greatly honoured. This is the second dream he's had where the Lord, an angel of the Lord, has appeared to him. The first was, of course, to say, don't disregard Mary, even though she's pregnant, and, she's, and it's not your pregnancy, but because the Spirit of God has brought about this, take her to be your wife. And, of course, he doesn't have sexual relationships with Mary till after Jesus is born, uh, in order to protect the sanctity and the sinlessness of Jesus. Uh, the virgin birth is very important for us to understand. Strictly speaking, it's the virgin conception, not so much the virgin birth. It's the fact that God overshadows Mary to protect her from the, the influence of sin from Mary's body, and the Spirit of God protects that. That wouldn't be obvious if, if Joseph was the father. This is, a, this is God becoming man in our world. Now, one of the problems of the Roman Catholic Church, of course, is they think that that Mary had to be perpetually sinless. Uh, but that's not the case. She actually says, God my saviour. Mary needed a saviour like all of us do because she was also a person who was uh, sinful and she needed her sins being forgiven just like we do. And of course the other problem with the Roman Catholic Church is that they say that uh, Mary would continue to virgin. Well, if she'd done that, she'd be disobedient to God because sexual relations are part of a marriage. And in actual fact... Bible tells us that, that Joseph refrained from sexual marriage until after the birth. So it's very clear that, that um, Mary was not a perpetual virgin and in actual fact had other children, brothers uh, and sisters of, of Jesus, which the, the Bible tells about, but Catholic Church ignore for the sake of their tradition. That's another story. So here we are back and the, the angel of the Lord appears to Joseph and says, Herod, wants to kill you. Therefore, you've got to flee. And so he says, get up and go to Egypt. Egypt, of course, was the great enemy of Israel. Egypt is the place where uh, Joseph was sold into slavery, where the people of Israel were slaves under pharaohs, and where God brought them out of Egypt. Why send them to Egypt? Well, of course, the reason is that God is protecting the Messiah, protecting that little baby Jesus. Because Herod is about to come and slay all the children, all the boys in Bethlehem. What, what a terrible thing to happen. Because we live in a world where terrible things happen, where there are evil people in the world. There'll be wars and rumours of wars until the Lord returns. There'll be famines and earthquakes, cyclones. Floods, fires. All that will happen because the world is out of kilter with God. But God has his means of protecting his people. 
So he takes, he tells Joseph to take Mary and the little child Jesus and flee to Egypt. And then Matthew says, this was to fulfill the prophecy, out of Egypt have I called my son. And the purpose of that prophecy, which comes from Hosea, is that Jesus is, as it were, reenacting the life of Israel. Israel, which was God's son, but which was a disobedient son. Now Jesus comes as the true Israelite, the true obedient son of God, the true sinless son of God. And out of Egypt, God will call his son. So Jesus is, if you like, the fulfillment of all the promises of Israel. All the purposes of God are going to be fulfilled in this particular man. Back in Bethlehem, what do we see? We see that Herod sends his army down to slay all the boys two years old and younger in accordance with the time the Magi had come. The Magi had also been told in a dream not to go back via Jerusalem, so they, uh, they, they went by another route. And Herod saw that he'd been tricked by the Magi because the Magi had been told by God, obviously, that he wants to kill the Messiah king. The Magi had come from the east, an illustration of Gentiles coming to worship the Lord Jesus. The beginning of the promises to, to Abraham, that, that through Abraham, all nations will be blessed. And here are Gentiles coming, just like the Queen of Sheba came to Solomon, another uh, illustration of the Gentiles coming and recognising in a way in which Israelites didn't recognise. Herod, of course, who was sort of a half, a half type of uh, uh, Israelite, he wasn't a true Israelite in, in genealogy, and though he was the king, he was the king under Roman rule. It's as if, really, Israel was still kind of in exile, even in their own land. And so he comes and slays all those little boys. In many ways, probably the first martyrs for Christ. Isn't that interesting? And then Matthew says this was to fulfill the prophecy of Jeremiah, which Paul read to us. If you listen to that prophecy, Jeremiah is talking, Jeremiah's at the, at the very cusp of Israel going into exile. He's the last prophet in Jerusalem before Nebuchadnezzar comes and destroys the city. And interestingly, Jeremiah is sent off to Egypt in chains and dies in Egypt. But Jeremiah gives his prophecy and he says, you'll come back to your own land and there'll be abundance and wonder and, and joy, but there'll also be weeping. Rachel weeping for her children. Rachel, of course, was married to Jacob. Rachel's tomb is in Bethlehem. So here Matthew recognises that this very one-line prophecy from Jeremiah actually has its application now. Why is that? Because it's as if to say the exile will come to an end and the, new prom and the promises of God will come to fulfilment. God is protecting the Christ child. So Joseph takes Mary and Jesus off to Egypt, out of Herod's grasp. But still havoc takes place under Herod. And yes, people have died and killed, just like when Jerusalem was sacked in 586 BC. So there we find that, yes, there'll be death and destruction in the world. And these first little martyrs, 
for Christ. Rachel weeping for her children. Then Herod dies. We, we know from history that it's about 4 BC. We, we always like to think that perhaps Jesus was born at zero. There is no zero year, but sort of 1 BC and 1 AD. Or, um, but strictly speaking, the person who did the arithmetic got it wrong. <laughs> and we just got to live with that, that's all. So Herod dies in 4 BC. So Jesus was probably born somewhere around between 5 or 6 BC. But that doesn't really worry us. Then Joseph has another dream to, to say, you can come back now to, to Judah. And then it's very interesting. As, G, as Joseph is coming back, he's fearful. Because although Herod has, been, has died, his son Archelaus, who was just as bad as Herod, was actually there. And he felt, if he goes back to Judah then it's not going to work for him. He's going, it's going to, it, it's, it, he'll still be under threat. You notice in the text there how God listens to the fears of Joseph and sends another message and says, we'll go to Nazareth. Go up north. Go back, of course. In Luke's gospel, we know that he came from Nazareth. Joseph probably thought he had to come back to Bethlehem because that was his birthplace. That was the, the tribe of David. Remember, he'd, he'd come down to Bethlehem because of the census uh, that took place. You had to go back to your place of birth, and he's the tribe of David, and Bethlehem was the town of David. So he thought he had to come back there, but God recognises his fears and therefore listens to him and answers his prayers and takes him to a safer place. Another son of Herod, Herod Antipas, is in the north. He's the same Herod who'll be there at the trial of Jesus. So he's there for about 40 years on the throne in the, in the northern part of Galilee and, and Caesarea. So God listens to Joseph's fears. God listens to our fears. He relates to us. He interacts with us. He knows our frame. Last year, we started in the East Hedford Hall. And as Trevor said, within a month, there were objections. The evil one had sown the seed of discontent in the authorities who of the trust with regard to where the East Hedford Hall sat and tried to stop the work of NHA, to undermine the people of God hearing God's word week by week, worshipping him, serving him, loving him, reaching out to the community. And the fears were, well, what's going to happen? Well, we had a, we had a lease which, which would go at the end of the year. So by God's providence, you continued there. At the end of last year, as, as I'm sure many of you know, and certainly the leadership knows, what was going to happen? Uh, we tried various legal means of, of, to try and address the problems which were there. God heard your fears and you prayed. And here we are today at peace. <laughs> here we are today. God has provided a new option for you. You've, you've been taken out of Judea and you've come to Galilee. <laughs> and although this may be slightly out of the, further out of the way for some people, it's a place where you can gather... Because God is protecting you. 
prophecy that God will, will protect his people. Uh, the promise of God to be your God and you to be his people. And that protection will continue to be over you, even though troubles and tribulations will be your way. And then Matthew says, as, they, as he takes Joseph, Joseph, Joseph has more dreams than anyone in the New Testament. Did you realise that? It didn't mean he slept a lot, but, it, uh, but he had more revelations of God and the angel of the Lord appeared to him all these times in the first two chapters of Matthew's Gospel, more than Mary, interestingly, that we, we know of. Mary had Gabriel come, which was a pretty important occasion, uh, but we don't know of any other occasion when, when the Lord spoke to her like that. But nonetheless, here is Joseph. He goes to Nazareth, <clears throat> and then you get this very curious statement from Matthew. He says, this was to fulfill what the prophet said, that he'll be called a Nazarene. It's troubled some commentators what that means. But a couple of things to notice, he doesn't say this is what the prophet said, like when he's referring to Isaiah, for the virgin shall conceive, or when he's referring to Micah with regard to the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem, or when he's referring to um, Jeremiah with regard to Rachel weeping for her children, or when he refers to Hosea, when he's talking about out of Egypt I called my son. No, he says the prophets. It's a more generalised thing. The other thing is he doesn't give a quotation. There are no quotation marks there at the end in verse 23. But he says, he will be called a Nazarene. What is a Nazarene? Well, a Nazarene is a place which was despised, of, of little account. It was in Galilee of the Gentiles, Matthew will say later in his Gospel. When, when Philip meets Jesus in John's Gospel, and the disciples say, come and hear a, a person, the Messiah is here. And Philip says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It was a despised place. In Acts, the book of Acts, they talk about the sect of the Nazarenes. I asked Trevor, I said, what would be a good place to describe, uh, which when you're, in your culture would be a good place to describe, a place which was despised as of no value? I, he suggested a place, but I thought I'd better not mention it, just in case you come from there. <laughs> so I, I could say Brisbane, couldn't I? Uh, as, or perhaps it's Sydney has been despised, who knows? But nonetheless... That's what Nazareth is, is despised. And why does Matthew say that? Because Jesus was despised of little account. In Isaiah 53, you see the servant of the Lord despised. And the Lord lays upon him the iniquity of us all. In the Psalms, it talks about the one who is despised in Psalm 22, that wonderful psalm depicting the death of Jesus. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The one who is despised goes to a place where that despicable reference applies. Such is the love of God that he sent his son to be despised for you. To take our shame, to take our guilt, to take our sins away. That's what God's done for us. The humiliation of Jesus. To be born as a human, with all the limitations of humanity. To become a zygote in, in Mary's womb. To become a fetus. To be born a helpless 
hapless child, to be under threat of King Herod. Yet God's protection was upon him until the point of time as Jesus grew up to live the life that neither you nor I could live, to die the death that you and I deserve. And Jesus gives up his life. No one takes it from him. He gives up his life. Into your hands I commend my spirit, he says on that cross. And in doing so, accomplishes our salvation by his death and resurrection to new life. And Jesus takes up his own life in resurrection because he is the God-man. That is what gives hope to the northern part of Queensland. This is you proclaiming the Lord Jesus, the one whom God had promised ages ago. And now he's fulfilled his promises in the birth of Jesus and the protection of Jesus even from the evil people who wanted his death. Until the time came when Herod and Pilate agreed to Jesus' death, yet it was all part of God's purposes and God's plan so that death would be defeated and Satan would be destroyed. And we now live in that hope. And our job is to live for Jesus, to proclaim his glory and the gospel of salvation until he comes again, brings us home. Amen.